Well, shalom everyone, and I just want to tell you how happy I am to be addressing my Beth Takoon family once again. Um, it's such a blessing to be invited to share with you some thoughts and insights during this Hanukkah season. And uh, so thank you, Tim, for inviting me and extending the privilege to me. I'm honored to be a part of this. And I just want to tell our family at Beth Takoon Messianic Fellowship how much Robin and I love you. We admire you, appreciate you, and are so excited about the days ahead as you continue to grow and prosper under Tim's leadership. So God bless you, and, um, and if I forget to do so at the end, I'll do it now. I want to wish you, we both want to wish you a very, very happy and blessed Hanukkah season. Well, let's get into the teaching. Uh, most of you are aware of the contention that existed between the two schools uh, in ancient times, during the times of Yeshua, between Hillel and Shammai. These two, if they could find anything to disagree about, they disagreed about it. In fact, if you've been watching The Chosen, you may have noticed that this contention between the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel plays a part in the plotting against Yeshua. If you missed that, you might want to go back and, and re-binge the, uh, the first two series and uh, you'll catch that. But the reason I bring this up is that when it comes to the observation of Hanukkah, there was a disagreement among them. And this is how it is recorded in the Talmud. Shammai said, on the first day, one kindles eight lights, and from there on, gradually decreases the number of lights until on the last day of Hanukkah, he kindles one light. And Beit Hillel said, on the first day, one kindles one light, and from there on, gradually increases the number of lights, until on the last day, he kindles eight lights. Now, we know that today, when we celebrate Hanukkah, we begin on the first night with one light, and then the next two lights, and three and four on up until the eighth day of Hanukkah. But, of course, Shammai, he had to disagree and he says, no, you start with eight lights, the next day you light seven, then six and five, and on down to one, and then it's over. But here's the interesting thing. Shammai has biblical precedent for his view. Because you see, two months earlier, in the month of Tishrei, when Sukkot is observed, that's the Feast of Tabernacles, the Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 29, starting with verse 12, on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, that's Tishrei, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall keep a feast to Adonai seven days. And you shall offer a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to Adonai, thirteen bulls from the herd. Then as you read on, on the second day you offer twelve bulls, and on the third day eleven, and then ten, nine, eight, Seven. So over the seven days of Sukkot, you decrease the number of sacrifices that are offered each day. So Shammai thought on Hanukkah, we decrease the number of lights. Makes sense, doesn't it? But only if you're looking at the external things. And Hillel had a way of looking at the internals, at the spiritual side of things. 
I want you to consider something. I know I usually have my iPad here so I can have graphics and verses and everything. I'm just going to talk to you today. But what I want you to picture is this. I want you to picture the seventh month, which is Tishrei. That's the month that contains Sukkot. And Sukkot is seven days plus one day. Because it also tells us in the Torah that in a verse, chapter 29 of Numbers, verse 35, on day the eighth, a solemn assembly, a Shemini Atzeret, you shall have. So he talks about the seven days of Sukkot, then God says, and on the eighth day, you have another day of observation, of, of uh, rejoicing, and also of a, a solemn assembly and of prayer. So though Hanukkah is eight days, you could say that Sukkot is eight, or we'll just say seven plus one. And if my calculations are correct, that comes out to eight. So in the seventh month, you've got an eighth day, eight day observation of tabernacles, of Sukkot, when the number of sacrifices decrease. The next month, the eighth month of the year, is called Keshvan. And then in the ninth month is Kislev, the month we're in now. And in Kislev, you have another eight-day celebration where the number of lights in the menorah grows day by day. The seventh month, the sacrifices decrease. But in the ninth month, the month of Kislev, the lights increase. Let's take a moment to talk about this intermediary month, the month of Cheshvan. It's sometimes called Mar Cheshvan, which means bitter. Mar is bitter. And it's considered a, a bitter month. Because on this month, it's the only month on the biblical calendar where there are no holy days, no fast days, there are no ritual celebrations or observances of biblical events. It's an empty month. And of course, I consulted with the, uh, our Beth Tikkun authority on all things concerning the biblical calendar, David Deacon, and I asked him to share some insights from this month of Keshvan. And he shared the things I just shared with you. But he also said this is the month when the rains really set in and winter really kicks in and the coldness and the wetness is felt very deeply. And it's, uh, the days are getting very short and uh, it's, a, it's a dark month, a cold, wet month, an empty month. And thus it's referred to as Mar Keshvan, bitter Keshvan. So we have this intermediary eighth month between all the celebrations of Tishrei and then the, the celebration of light in Kislev. What are we to make of all of this? Well, in Tishrei, at Sukkot, we have the flesh of oxen being sacrificed and other sacrifices as well. But the oxen, the number decreases. But here we have something very spiritual. Light is always a picture of the spiritual. And here we see the light increasing. It reminds me of the words of John the Immerser where he says, I must decrease, but he must increase. And we can all make that our own statement of faith that I must increase, but he must increase. I must decrease, but he must increase.
And the way that happens is that our investment in the flesh must taper off. Knowing we're young and we're full of excitement and and we are trying to accumulate money and stuff and and you know we're just embracing life with so much vigor. Those days eventually begin to wane as we age. And hopefully we'll begin to grow spiritually at an early age. And we'll see through the deceitfulness of riches and the deceitfulness of the temptations of the flesh and begin early to devote ourselves in growing spiritually, in growing in our light and in our dedication, which is what the word Hanukkah means, dedication. We'll grow in our dedication to God. And as the flesh decreases, the spiritual will increase. I want to share something with you. It, it's called in, in, uh, in the Jewish faith, it's called stringing pearls. It's something that many of the Bible writers have done and rabbis continue to do today. And I'm going to take a stab at it myself. Stringing pearls is when you take a particular theme in scripture and you pluck the verses from various places in the scriptures that have to do with this theme and you string them together like pearls on a string. And it creates this beautiful message, uh, panorama, so to speak, of this theme. Because we know that every part of the Bible is connected to every other part, so why not take those things that have to do with this topic that we're about to address, which is the, the topic of the flesh versus the spirit. Now keep in mind that we are souls. We have a body. You've heard me say this so many times. We have a body made of flesh. It's born, it lives, it dies. But we also have a spirit, which is that spark of God, which is, which is eternal and is to grow and to become brighter and brighter. And, um, and we need to transform more of our energies, to transfer them more from the flesh, from the flesh and into the spiritual things pursue spiritual excellence. And this is very difficult, if not impossible, for some people. For some people just cannot see or understand the things that are spiritual. So let me go through this string of pearls, and then we'll revisit this. These passages come from various places in the Brit Kadashah, from John's Gospel, from Romans and Galatians. And uh, they will all be in your notes, and you can read them for yourself. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. It is the spirit that gives life, but the flesh is of no help at all. And the words that I am speaking to you are spirit and life. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. 
For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And just as at that time Ishmael, who was born according to the flesh, persecuted Isaac, who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That to me is the essence of everything God wants to teach us about living life in this world. Letting go of the fleshly things, the temporal things, and coming to see, to know, to love, and appreciate spiritual things, and to invest our hearts in God's kingdom, in the spiritual realm, where thieves can't break through and steal, moths and rust can't corrupt, and to truly love the things that do not appear to our physical eyes. Now, this empty month of Keshvan, there are some biblical things that occurred during this month. For one thing, the flood began during this month. The rains began to fall in the days of Noah during the month of Keshvan, because we're told that in the eighth month is when this began to happen. And then one year later, during the month of Keshvan, is when the floods dried up and finally Noah and his family could exit the ark. So those things happened during this month. I said earlier, it's a wet month. But something else very interesting happened. And you read about this in 1 Kings chapter 6, around verse 38. And it's when Solomon completed the construction of the temple. He completed it during the month of Keshvan. But he does something very, very strange after that. If it was you or I who had built the temple, we would want to dedicate it immediately. I mean, it's done. Let's get things going. Let's start worshiping here and, and begin the sacrifices and invite God to come and inhabit the house we've built for him. But Solomon didn't do that. You know how long he waited until he dedicated that temple? He waited 11 months. He went all the way through the cycle of the calendar until it came back to Tishrei, the month of Sukkot. And then during the festival of Sukkot, he dedicated that temple he'd completed 11 months earlier. I find that really incredible. Now, some of you may think, well, why didn't he dedicate it on Hanukkah? After all, this is the, the, the feast of dedication, isn't it? Well, you have to recall that Hanukkah was still about 500 years or so in the future. Hanukkah commemorates the great miracles of the Solomon's temple having been uh, polluted by pagan idolatrous worship and the Maccabees rising up. And the two miracles were is that this ragtag bunch of uh, Jewish uh, people, farmers and, and priests, rose up and defeated the mightiest army in the world. The second miracle is that when they rededicated the temple, 
they found one day supply of oil, but that supply lasted for eight days. So there was no Hanukkah when Solomon built the temple. That would come later. But here's a strange thing to think about. When Solomon built and dedicated his temple, there was Sukkot, there were sacrifices, but there was no Hanukkah. But then for the last roughly 2,000 years, we live in a world where there is Hanukkah, but there's no sacrificial system. Yes, we still celebrate Sukkot, but we don't have those oxen being sacrificed over those seven days of Sukkot. But in the future, and this is something you may not be aware of, but according to Jewish tradition, the Messianic temple will be dedicated during this month of Keshvan. And when it is, we'll live in a period of time when both the sacrifices of Sukkot and the celebration of Hanukkah will both occur. And they'll bookend this month of Keshvan when the Messianic temple will be dedicated. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not. Again, that's, that's tradition. But it's pretty poetic when you think about it. Because after all, this month of Keshvan is the eighth month, and eight is always the number of life. And though it's a very dark and wet month, that watering of the soil is what brings those seeds to life that will bear great fruit. So, in your life, you may have lived a, a lot of sacrifice and, and given up a lot of things and gone through suffering and lived in a hut under the stars, it feels like, and, and you've gone through a lot and now it feels empty and bleak and dark and wet and cold. Ah, oh, but that's the secret. That's the key. This dying to self. This moving from the past and into the future is when the warmth and the beauty and the light of Hanukkah can really become alive in your soul and in your spirit. Because God calls us to be bright lights in this dark world. And the world is dark. And, the, and as the world becomes more fleshly, more devoid of awareness of God and the truth of Torah, the world needs more and more people who are invested in spiritual things, who can be lights in this world. It's an exciting time to be alive. And I challenge you to let go of the pursuit of wealth and material possessions. I mean, we have to live. We need food and clothing and shelter. I understand that. But let's get out of step with the world. And let's truly pursue God. So that when Messiah returns, and I really believe and I sure hope and pray that he's returned soon, he'll find us burning brightly for him. And though Hanukkah only lasts for eight days, and at the end of eight days we're out of, we're out of stalks on a menorah to light more candles, spiritually you never run out. And the day after Hanukkah ends, continue to burn brightly continue to burn more brightly day after day after day. So when the Messiah comes, he'll find you a, a, a beautiful menorah, shining light in this dark world for him. You know, I'm reminded of Psalm 30. 
Psalm 30 is a psalm that David wrote. You know, David, more than anything in the world, he wanted to build a temple for God, to build a house for God. And he had written in one of the psalms that there's, uh, there's one thing I ask, there's one thing I desire of you, O Lord, and that is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. But he never lived to see the temple built. God even gave David the plans for the temple, but said, you can't build it, but your son will. But oh, how David longed to see the house of the Lord, the temple, the house of the Father. So in Psalm 30, he writes this. A Psalm of David, a song for the Hanukkah, the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, Adonai, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. That's the first verse. So he writes the song for the Hanukkah, for the dedication of the temple, a temple he never lived to see. But how does he start this psalm of dedication? It's not the way I would have started it, and probably not the way you would have either. Uh, you would have started talking about the glory of God and, and uh, how this house has been built, and you invite him to come and, and live in it because this house built solely for his glory. But he starts it with, I will extol you, Adonai, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. He praises God because David had many enemies. But God didn't let those enemies overwhelm him and defeat him. You and I have enemies. Number one enemy is the flesh itself. Because that is where the enemy hunkers down to pull us away from spiritual things. That's where the yetzer hara, the evil inclination, finds its strength is in the desires of the flesh, which are contrary to the desires of the spirit. But we want to devote this temple to God. We want to give it fully to him. And if we do, it will not be able to overwhelm you. But if you do not give your temple fully and completely to him, then oh, the trouble it will make for us. You know, this week happens to be the week where we read the story of Joseph being sold into slavery in Egypt. And while he's there, he's serving Potiphar and and doing the best he can. He's already been rejected by his brothers, and now he's serving this Egyptian master. But Mrs. Potiphar decides to try to seduce Joseph. She doesn't succeed, but she does frame him falsely and, and falsely accuses him. So now he leaves Potiphar's house and finds himself in an Egyptian prison. And he just keeps trying to do the right thing and does do the right thing, but everything goes down, down, down. And while he's in prison, he interprets the dreams of the baker and the cupbearer. And the cupbearer got a very favorable interpretation to his dream. And he asked the cupbearer, says, Now when you return to Pharaoh and you present the cup of wine to him, remember me here. But the cupbearer didn't. At least not for another two years. But at the end of two years... Pharaoh has 
a pair of dreams. Then the cupbearer remembers Joseph. And when he shares with Pharaoh how this, this Jewish prisoner interpreted his dream and the dream of the baker perfectly and accurately, Pharaoh calls him up. And the reason I'm sharing this is because a lot of us, we're like Potiphar or we're like the Egyptian jailer. And uh, we, we love letting Yeshua, whom Joseph is a, a great picture of foreshadowing of. And we love for him just to run things in our life, but to stay subordinate to us. Yeah, you keep the household running. You keep the jail running. You just make sure the books are balanced and you bring blessing and prosperity, but you just stay put. But once we let Joseph out of jail, once we let Yeshua out of prison, then he runs the world. Then he brings prosperity and brings salvation to the world. Once Joseph was unleashed, unshackled from prison, where he operated in a, in a great way and he, he made things run smoothly, he prospered the jailer. But once we unleash him and unshackle him and give him control, oh my goodness, just stand back and see what happens. I dare say that many of us, we're thrilled to have Yeshua in our lives. But we want to keep him quartered over here in this area. You just keep things running well. You just keep blessing me. Keep the prosperity coming. Make me healthy. Answer my prayers. But I'll take care of things up here. And I suggest you move from that fleshly relationship with Messiah. And you make yourself a living sacrifice. No, for those candles to give light, the candle has to diminish. It gives up its flesh, so to speak, to provide light to the world. I challenge you to do the same. We kind of like to keep Yeshua asleep in the bottom of the boat until a storm hits and then we wake him up. But then after that, it's okay, you can go back to sleep now. I've got it from here. Let's not do that. Let's not be guilty of that. And I challenge you in this Hanukkah season to rededicate your temple to him. For God to occupy fully and completely, to submit fully to his mitzvot and his rules in your life, and to invest your very life in serving him and allowing him to use you however he wants, to give yourself away to him. And let yourself diminish and let him increase in your life. And then your life can reach its full potential. And that is what the world needs to see today. People who are completely committed to the Father. Completely sold out to serving God. That's a rare thing to see. There's no end of the number of people who want to claim to be believers and then use God for their own exaltation. But let's be those who give ourselves away to God, to live a humble, quiet life, a life of sacrifice and utter devotion to Him, so that He is exalted and He is lifted up. Because this is the kind of life Messiah led. 
This is the life Yeshua models for us. And he invites us to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses daily, and to follow him. It's that same message we've heard for so many years. But hearing it is not the same as doing it. So let's be doers of the word. It starts with denying yourself, your right to yourself, and say, I'm not my own, I've been bought with a price. And then take up your cross, which is an instrument of death, and say, I'm crucified with Messiah. You ever, never the yet I, 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 nevertheless, I live. It's not I, but Messiah living in me. So let's die to our own inclinations, our own way of doing things. And then we're equipped to follow him. Then and only then are we equipped to truly follow him. And to follow him means to be like him, to model his life in this world. Oh, that's what the world needs. That's my prayer for myself and my family. That's my prayer for you, for Beth Takun, and for anyone who's listening to this. That be courageous. Be courageous enough to, to, to let go of your life. And then stand back to see how God illumines the world with it. You won't be sorry. I promise you that. But if you don't do it, you're going to be sorry. You're going to be so ashamed when you stand before him. So let's stand before him as workers who do not need to be ashamed. That's worth living for right there. Well, anyways, I could keep yammering on, but if you don't, get what I'm trying to say by now. More words aren't going to help. So I just want to thank you for listening. And again, thank you for uh, Tim for allowing me to address uh, my Beth Takun family. We love you all so much. And God loves you even more. And he really wants to make the most of our days here in this world. So let's dedicate our lives to him during this Hanukkah season and burn brightly for him in this dark world. So, until next time, I wish you shalom and may God bless.